to be a little bit different. Typically, it's me, Suzanne, and Emily from Leading Veterinary Teams talking all things veterinary leadership. Sometimes it's just us, and other times we have guests. But in this episode, the tables are turned, and we're the guests. We were invited by Emily, the owner of Love.HuVet, a really awesome vet tech-led brand, to talk all about navigating difficult conversations. This conversation was so good, we went way over the time and therefore decided to split this episode into two parts. If you haven't heard the first part, go back and take a listen. In the second part, we talk all about why it's important to choose the best time and place for difficult conversations, strategies for constructive dialogue, and then steps to take after the conversation. At the end, we share our personal experiences with navigating difficult conversations. So if you're ready, let's jump right into it. Now, what are your guys' thoughts on the best time and place to have um, these conversations, like whether it be good or bad, and uh, how does the setting impact the outcome? I mean, I I mentioned before privacy. Um, I think that I don't, so when I was thinking about this question, I, or thinking about this question, I, I immediately say never have difficult conversations by yourself because you just never know and it protects you and it protects the other person by having an unbiased third party. Sure. And then I think about the per, me as the employee being in that conversation and I think that it really depends. I think it depends on the relationship you have with the, with your leader and your subordinate, whatever. I think it depends on, as a leader, if you have created an environment where people feel safe and they trust you and you trust them and we can have okay candid conversations, then go for it if you feel comfortable. I have been in far too many situations as the employee where I don't trust my employer that I ask for a third party if that third party is not already present. Um, but I, I can see it from both ways. Uh, in general, for me as a leader, I will always err on the side of having a third party just from, from personal experience, both as a leader and not, um, and always privately. I, I have um, unfortunately been on the end of a doctor that I worked with asking me, um, not really asking me, but saying, did you do this? Um, very accusatory in the like perpendicular hallway that surgery and treatment were at. <laughs> and there was a lot, it was a very large specialty hospital um, and quite a lot of people heard this interaction and my immediate reaction was no I didn't do anything because I'm gonna deny 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 because you are putting me on the spot and there's people everywhere and then I became the liar and so stop and so, so response too it, it was it was a visceral like I I just panicked right yeah. it was fight or flight and mm-hmm. so after having that experience I will never do that to somebody so and that wasn't even like a true crucial conversation she was just asking me if i was doing something but it was the tone that she used and so the for me very much important to make sure that people feel safe and and that it's private um is this only for like 
even if it, you're like praising someone still private so it depends on it depends right and mm -hmm. sorry like i'm taking over but it it <laughs> totally depends if you are somebody who is super super introverted and you don't like public praise mm -hmm. and i publicly praise you now we have a problem <laughs> right hide. Yeah. Yeah. A good point um, yeah, one of the other things that I've noticed really um, when I'm having these difficult conversations um, and I've found success is having them actually not on the premises at work, um, meeting up somewhere like a diner or something like that down the street and having a conversation also really helps um, kind of bring that whole ease of is anybody going to listen to us? Is anybody going to interrupt us? And letting that other person know like, hey, I want to have this conversation here because I really want to make sure that we have this conversation and that we get to the bottom of things and I don't want anybody else to like really know what's going on and nobody knows that like we're even meeting kind of thing. So it kind of also puts like that part um, aspect into things. I think if you're having something more aligned along the lines of talking about termination or anything along those lines, like you, like Suzanne has said, having a third party there, I've always had a third party there um anytime i'm having a conversation with somebody just as a buffer for myself and that other person kind of i i don't really like to call them the referee but they're there just in case like the other person kind of also starts to get emotional and like they're kind of there to hey there's some emotions happening here maybe now's not the time to have this conversation um and i also try to make sure that that third party is somebody that understands what the conversation is and how to also have these difficult conversations. And it's not somebody that um, is practicing it or anything along those lines. It's somebody that can pick up on cues and things that are happening when these conversations are happening as well. Um, but I think also just even not being in the hospital or like on the property when you're having these conversations have totally helped with me personally um, and getting the outcomes that uh, we were looking for. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to add two things really quick to that because one, I absolutely love that you brought that up. I used to work with a medical director and there, and we used to take walking meetings all mm -hmm. the time and they weren't oh, often, funny. they weren't even crucial conversations. One time it was, she was like, I'm really upset with you and we need to go for a walk. And I was like, okay. And we did. And we, we walked and we talked and there was something about getting the like, juices flowing Probably. yeah and the fresh air and by the end like i'm not a hugger but we were hugging and i was here for it um and it it we were able it wasn't even a long walk nobody even knew we went and took a walk it was great mm -hmm. um and then the other thing to mention about that third party is that third party i said they need to be unbiased but what i mean i just want to clarify what i mean by that this person can't if you're talking if you're your hospital manager and you're talking to your technician this cannot be a peer this cannot be another technician mm -hmm. it also really shouldn't be another doctor unless it's mm -hmm. a medical director it should be mm -hmm. someone of some sort of leadership and if you don't have that in your hospital then an hr representative or somebody that is in like a regional operations role, somebody that's above, if you're the practice owner and there is no one above, well, then you might have to do it by yourself. But you really, it depends, right? Like if you're a really tiny practice um, and there really is no other leadership and it's just you, then it's just you. But it really should never be mm -hmm. a peer um, or even less than a 
like if, if if you're talking to a doctor about performance do not bring a technician in there like that is not appropriate if you're talking to a doctor about performance medical director or chief of staff should be there really i just wanted to clarify what, what's that, um like you say peer but like if it's like a practice built like you know there's assistants there's technicians and then there's like lead technicians they would be considered a, a yeah. leader right or mm -hmm. okay so that's a leader yeah i mean i guess it depends there's there's some practices that have lots of different layers of leadership i would say whoever that person is reporting to if they're not the one who who is bringing this to the person then they should be there um and honestly if they're not if they're so example i report to a technician supervisor right as a technician if my technician supervisor is not the one bringing it up but my I don't know, hospital director is bringing it up to me. My technician supervisor should be there. And if I were the hospital director, I would be having that technician supervisor leading that conversation and I would be the, the, the unbiased person mm -hmm. um, for growth opportunity because they got to learn how to have difficult conversations too. Um, but yeah, when I say peer, I mean like, Emily is a licensed technician on in the ICU and I'm a licensed technician in oncology and we're both in this meeting and you're, you're meeting with me. That's not appropriate. Because then Emily is gonna go to the ICU and be like, yo, you know what Susan This is happening. <laughs> <laughs> That happens for sure. Yes, it does. And that is not okay. No, nope. not at all. <laughs> Even when they're not in the conversation, you know, that's happening. Right. I love the idea of, of going for a walk or off premises or even just outside. Yeah. So much better. I remember like being I mean, we were immature, but like like someone would get called into the office, you're all like standing outside of it, but like doing other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just mm -hmm. waiting to see what <laughs> Now, uh, can you guys share some effective strategies or techniques techniques for keeping difficult conversations constructive? Stay calm. Yeah. <laughs> that's the biggest. Yeah, that's the biggest one and the hardest one. Um, also, making sure you're staying on your expectations. Um, what you wanted to get um, out when you set your intent at the beginning of the conversation, um, making sure you're staying on track. Uh, it's really easy, especially like when Suzanne and I uh, are on our meetings, um, for us to get sidetracked. Um, and then normally one of us has to go, okay, what were we doing again? And like kind of bring it back. Um, when you're having these difficult conversations, it's really easy to get sidetracked. Um, they might talk about something that happened six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, something along those lines. Feelings are going to be brought up, those kind of things. Um, it's okay for that to happen, but remembering what the main point is. Um, also, uh, if you are disagreeing, do it respectfully. Um, explain why behind your disagreement or why behind your reasoning. Um, the other person just may not see it that way. Uh, that's a whole reason uh, for 99% of these conversations is just because the other person has a hard time putting their feet in the other pe person's shoes. Um, I joke around because I wear like a kid size four so nobody could ever fit their feet in my shoes, um, which I is guess. totally fine. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> but it's one of those things that it's like, being able to put yourself in their shoes and trying to do that in the moment as well. Um, also, don't um, 
try to avoid blaming. Uh, it's really easy to point fingers. Uh, like Suzanne said, uh, at Disney World, you'll get fired if you point with one finger. Um, but try not to even point with two in these kinds of conversations. Um, it's really easy to, you did this, this is wrong. These are all the things that you did wrong. Um, also, what about talking about all the things that you did right? So like, it's one of those kind of like gray areas as well. So you also don't want to um, kind of put together like a compliment sandwich where you're telling somebody all the things that they did bad, all the good things, and then kind of, well, but then again, these are the things that you also did bad as well. Um, and one of my favorite things to do is uh, asking open-ended questions when you're having these conversations. So instead of just yes and no, or how is, is how are you feeling uh, throughout those things is more of what I like to ask, because uh, I like to get a little bit more deeper into conversation. Um, instead of, are you okay with this? What if I'm not, you know, uh, it doesn't give me the option to say, well, I'm not okay with this. And this is why I kind of feel like when you're asking a <clears throat> yes and no kind of questions which is something I did a lot as a child and I know that my mom is watching this live and she's probably laughing um I did that a lot as a child did not get me very far uh so I started asking more open-ended questions yeah, and you, uh Susan do you want to go ahead questions I think are, are something that people struggle with and so uh just for some examples you know open-ended means that that person whatever your question is that person is then going to have to respond with more than just yes no maybe i don't know mm -hmm. so i tend to say tell me about tuesday tell me about what mm -hmm. happened on tuesday and they will know what happened on tuesday they will know what you're talking about as if and if they don't they will be like it was a good day i don't know we had <laughs> lunch brought in we had extra whatever right but i always say tell me about is kind of how i start them uh, most of the time most of my open-ended questions start with tell me something or or share with me even when i'm talking to a client tell me what's going on with fluffy tell me what's going on now uh so you don't tell me what happened in 1982 right um <laughs> I agree completely um, about, you know, open-ended questions, also listening. So ask that open-ended question and then let them actually answer you. Um, like ask your question and then shut up <laughs> to say it nicely, I guess, um, because a lot of times we are just waiting for people to finish and we've already thought about our next question or the next thing we're going to say and we already know what we're accusing them of so we are we're going to make it seem like we're being nice and we want to hear their story but at the end of the day like you did this wrong you messed up so we're going to have to talk about it right so really listening because you might be surprised at what you hear um the reason behind the things that happened may not be what the story is that you were coming into so trying to be as open and available to take those things in i think is also really important and then just like the communication skills that we learn with clients you ask the you ask the question you listen and then you you check for understanding right so what i'm hearing is mm. 
And then if they're like, no, actually, that's not what I said, then you weren't listening because ADHD, right? And then they can repeat what it is that, that they're actually, you know, what the issue is or what happened. It's almost like you're giving that, um, isn't that considered recall? Like you're recalling what, mm-hmm. and so they know you're listening or hopefully you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's people that know that, that trick and, and will be like, oh, she's just, doing the psychology thing on me but but it works you know it it allows me to listen to you confirm that what i'm hearing is correct and then we can brainstorm solutions together we can talk about what's going on how can we fix this together um i don't i don't want to tell emily's story but she always has a no complaining rule and i i mean i'm gonna let you take from there because it's awesome yeah so um, when I was a practice manager, I had a no complaint policy and I would tell everybody, you can come to me with any concerns that you have, um, but just come up with one solution. Um, we can vent, you can tell me how stupid this protocol is, um, all the things that don't work about it, and then tell me all the things that you want to fix about it. And it may not be the way that we do it, but we're going to give it a shot and we'll recap and go from there. But I always gave my staff the free range of you're doing this. This is just an idea that we had. This is how we think that we can fix this. If you have a better solution, come to me about it. And it definitely cut back um, the chit chat on the floor of the whole, well, this doesn't work. This doesn't work um, because they were able to come straight to me and say, this is stupid. This is why. And then this is my idea on how we should fix it. And I felt a lot better about that um, when they would come to me with those things. because it means that they were actually, first off, doing one of the things that we had implemented um, and that they were starting to find holes in things. So it was also giving them problem solving things as well. And when other people would start complaining about like things not working on the floor or anything like that, they'd say, well, did you let Emily know that that's not working? She'll take care of it right away. Like, does she know? And it would be like, no, nobody told her. Oh, no. And then it would be brought to my attention. But once the whole no complaint thing started, somebody would be like, this pump has been giving me the worst time and would come into my office, complain for 10 minutes about the pump, and then say, I think we should get these and talk to me about a whole different pump line, all of the other stuff. Clearly, it was something that they were super passionate about. And about six months later, we had all new pumps in the hospital because of that person. So it was like one of those like, that person got so frustrated with that day. I was like, okay, no problem. They had a whole presentation basically together for me as to why we should get these pumps. I'm like, I don't even need it. This is your equipment. We need to make sure you can do your job. We're on it. Don't worry about it. I love so that. It was just, makes them feel yeah. like so appreciated too, or even just that they're heard and yeah. It's going to make them feel yeah. so important, too. Yeah, and yeah it, I mean, they're the ones that are doing it. And it's yeah. safe. Who am I to tell them how to do it, you know? Like, if you're the ones that are doing it, this is just, from my experience, what we think would work. Hey, it doesn't work for this hospital. Perfect. Do you think it's going to work this way? Let's try it. Yeah, and it'll, it'll save you crucial conversations down the line because people get what they're asking for, and they feel heard, and they feel listened to, and they feel seen, like you said. And they also feel safe to be able to have those conversations with you so that when there there are things that come up, you can easily bre- breach the conversation. Like, hey, what what's mm-hmm. going on? just makes it easier. So much easier. I love that. that that's a really good good rule. I like the complaint. No complaint rule. And I'm <laughs> no complaint rule. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so after a conversation, what steps do you guys recommend to ensure that it's resolved and the relationships are maintained? Sorry, I'm, cha I'm changing, changing the screen. Okay. Um, I, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that you'll want to do after um, you have that conversation is recap. Um, recap with that person, kind of just talk about everything that you've just discussed, um, all of those things. And then I like to send a recap email. Um, so this way it's all written out. We have it documented, everything that we talked about, the steps that we're doing. Um, and then I also like to, before that meeting is over, set time for a future meeting so we can touch base um, after we've had that conversation and we're going to make these changes and kind of, you know, touch base again uh, within like, I try to do not more than two to three weeks later. Um, it also kind of shows the other person that I'm serious about this. Uh, it's something that I feel like in vet med we forget to do is those follow-ups all the time. Mm -hmm. So making sure that I set that up and that we have that time, you know, allotted to, to talk in like two, three weeks to, so we can touch back on this. That shows me that my manager cares and that they want to resolve this. So making sure that you have that and definitely acknowledging what the next steps are going to be. That's one of the biggest parts is making sure that everybody knows what their role is going to be moving forward from here on out. And be flexible too um, with your check-in. If something happens where like the week of, you're supposed to meet that Thursday, but somebody's kid is sick and now we need to flip-flop um, schedules and those kind of things. Touch base with that person, let them know, hey, if we need to reschedule, you tell me what works best for you. Um, but making sure that you do uh, reschedule that meeting and that it doesn't fall through the cracks. And <clears throat> set, a, set a realistic timeline as well. Um, just because something happens, you know, like Suzanne and I said, it did not take us overnight to become uh, professionals uh, with crucial conversations and emotional intelligence. It takes a lot of time to work on it. So. Setting a realistic uh, deadline or timeline for implementing this is going to be key and letting the other person when you're know like when you're having this conversation like, hey, listen, we all know Rome wasn't built in a day. This isn't going to be fixed in a month. Maybe we should kind of like say like two, three months, we should kind of see some progress, you know, those kind of things and checking into like your open lines of communication talk with this person. How do they want to be updated? How do you want to be updated? Is it through email? Is it through text messages? Is it through quick little voice chats back and forth? Um, are they more of like a Zoom person where they'd want to jump on a Zoom meeting with you and talk? Do they want to meet you in the hospital 10 minutes before their shift starts? Kind of just check in those things. See what's easier for them and for you. Um, as a leader, I always found it was easier to talk to people based on their communication styles. Um, I can email, I can text, I can smoke signals, whatever you want me to do, as long as I know that we're able to keep those open lines of communication and that you're able to um, get the information that I'm giving to you and you're able to report back to me, I'm okay with however we would need to, to talk. And making sure that that you're reiterating any areas of like your agreement, um, you know, things that you, you agreed upon, making sure like you let that person know like, okay, great. These are the things that we're, we're good with. This is what we're going to stick with. And then these were the things that we're going to change. 
a lot of times once you have these crucial conversations, um, people are kind of a little bit more hung up on the good things that came out of it. And then they're like, well, the bad things that happened, that happened, but let's sweep those under the rug. It's okay to feel your feelings. It's okay to be a little uncomfortable, um, but making sure you're able to keep those lines of communication open. And it's, I guess the best way to put it is I always feel that after I've had these conversations with people that my connection with them is a lot stronger. Um, I don't know if they normally feel that way, um, but a lot of the times they tell me that they do. Uh, they feel that they can come to me with any kind of problems or anything along those lines. So it really kind of um, helps building the trust aspect of things and making sure you don't lose that trust. That's yeah, it's very, it, it sounds like you're like the go-to manager, not going to lie. <laughs> like, um, but something that came to my head with, um, you, you brought it up multiple times was those follow-ups. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not good with following up, but something my husband does and uh, that I've started doing is, um, and this can be applied for anything. Like I do all my tasks or like work, whatever, um, like you putting in your calendar. So like, let's say something came up today, like I need to follow up with someone, put it in, let's say you want to follow up in two weeks and set it to repeat every day. And mm -hmm. your calendar is going to look so insane, but it, well, it, it'll alert you every day and it's almost like that annoying nagging like you need to do it you need to do it you need to do it and then that way when you complete it you get to delete it and you feel so much better um and then another thing would be like if you don't like that is the reminders app because that stays on your notification center mm. uh, so option for people but that made me think of it um again when you brought up the follow-up like Maybe after your meetings, just turn that on for yourself if you're forgetful like me, and yeah. it'll remind you. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things oh, I was going to say, one of the things that I do is I send the calendar invite before we even finish the meeting. So this way, it's like on there. It's like yep, and the follow up meeting is like already done before we even like separate way, go our separate ways. I'm already sending you an invite, and it's on my calendar, and I'm already making sure that that time is allotted for you so we can follow up. You got it. So <laughs> yeah, it's so funny how a lot of the things that these like tips and tricks that we use to trick ourselves are the same things that we do with our clients, right? Like mm -hmm. we want them to come for a follow up. They will never schedule that follow up. Just like you will never schedule that follow up or that one on one. <laughs> that is we, like you cannot put it in somebody else's hands. You probably can't even put it in my hands at a later date. Like you have to schedule it now or it's never going to happen. And so mm -hmm. It is 100% whatever, if it's an app, if it's putting it on your calendar, if it's right, if you're old school and you still have a, I'm, Emily has a handwritten calendar. If you, if you still have like the old school stuff, get it write it on your hand. I don't care what you have to do, but you gotta, you gotta set it in stone now. And then the other piece to it is if it is a follow-up meeting or a phone call or, or whatever it is, you actually have to do it, mm -hmm. right? Like let's not reschedule said follow-up because we're busy. No, no, no. We are not too busy for this because our staff is important. Mm -hmm. Our team is important. And I, you will hear me, the longer y'all follow me, the longer you will hear me say 110 times that if you take care of your people, they will take care of you. And that goes for everything, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so 
if you are telling your, if you're telling somebody that you are going to follow up with them and you schedule that meeting, do not cancel on them. And honestly, don't let them cancel on you unless there is a true emergency because it's not okay. Oh, well, so-and-so has to have a surgery and we have to get in that surgery. Well, then we're going to pre-plan that we have someone to cover you so you can come off the floor and we can have this conversation. Mm -hmm. It's true. That's a great point too. Like don't keep putting it off. Like just, and just get it done too. You know, it's not going to kill you and it'll make every party feel better about it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, we're getting past that um, hour mark. I just want to check to see if there are any questions out there. Um, If anyone has any questions for Emily or Suzanne, I'm going to leave it open for a minute. And if not, we can go into the personal experience. (laughs) Yeah. But thank you guys so much for being here. This is, this has been great. Oh, of course. (laughs) I get like super passionate. So, and I talk really fast. (laughs) (laughs) New Yorker can't help it. (laughs) What part? Uh, I grew up in Long Island. Me too. Where? Can we talk about this? I don't know. I I know that we're. I don't, maybe I grew up, uh, right out, right near the Ronkonkoma, um, train station, like right in, so funny. in my backyard. Oh my God. I grew up in, uh, in, well, I was, I grew up in Amityville and then I moved to Huntington in 2004 oh. and I grew up there. Oh. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't think we talked about it, but you know who else is from Long Island? Um, do you know, have you heard of blend vet? Yeah. Dr. Nicole. Nicole Bruno, she's yeah. from Long Island. I think she is from Ronkonk, or I remember she was telling me about a train. So that was, I just like. That's funny. She, she's she's like thing. best friends with a girl that Emily and I used to work with, Katie Hastings. <laughs> what a small so I, I met Dr. Bruno at VMX in uh, January. What? We were like dancing together. I was like, who is this short spitfire? She's so cute. I mean, I'm short too, but I think she might actually be shorter than me. She's this like tiny human. I love her to pieces. She's so cute. Oh. <laughs> That's so awesome. But I didn't know I was she, said, she was from Long Island. That's funny. <laughs> I know all the good people come from there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <I'm laughs> You're close enough. I'll stay in Jersey. <laughs> All right. It doesn't look like we have any questions. Um, did you guys still want to share your um, personal experiences? Um, I asked them to, um, if you guys have any personal experience where you successfully navigated a challenging conversation in the field. Yeah. So I will tell Go you. Go for it. I will tell you about uh, my story of Dr. Lisa. I changed her name, so I, I'm gonna sort of read it because. I will get really distracted by the name being changed, but I want to like for privacy purposes. Um, So Dr. Lisa's performance was affecting her overall efficiency um, as well as staff morale. She was really negative. Um, She never got up from her chair uh, and she would complain about everyone and everything. This was before I learned about the no complaining rule. Um, I knew I I was a new manager. I knew that I had to address her. I told you guys earlier that as a technician, now manager having to address a doctor really made me nervous so for me it was a very uncomfortable hard conversation um 
I asked to speak with her and the medical director in a private office to discuss the concerns that I was having with her performance and the way that she was acting at work. Uh, I started the conversation. She had been a doctor there for a long time before I was ever there. So I did express appreciation for her years of dedication. Um, I really wanted to set a positive tone for the conversation. Um, but I shared that in recent times, there had been a decline of her performance. Her attitude uh, was you know, negatively affecting the staff and the clients were also complaining that she seemed really not caring about her, about their pets. Um, and I, I gave her specific, I think this was the key to this conversation is that I was, give, I gave her specific examples without pointing fingers at her. I, I shared what I knew, um, and gave her the opportunity to, you know, understand what I was, what I was hearing and also give her the opportunity to rebuke, rebuke that, right? Tell me if, like that's not true or, or whatever. Um, I asked open-ended questions. Yes, you'll be a star student in two days. Um, <laughs> I asked open-ended questions. I, I inquired if she was facing any difficulties at home or challenges. I really expressed genuine concern for her because it was really out of the norm for her to be acting like that. And I, I didn't know if it was something that was going on in the clinic or if it was something going on outside that she was bringing in. Um, and because of that conversation and the relationship that we had built over time of just having trust in general, um, she was able to open up with me about some personal challenges. Um, I made sure to listen again. I said it before I listened without just assuming that she was, you know, lazy and sitting in the chair all day and complaining. And I, I really, really focused on listening to what was going on. I offered support. I offered empathy. Um, and then we collaborated on solutions. We were ultimately able to establish an adjustment to our work schedule that allowed her to be home more with and handle the things that were going on at home. Um, we established clear expectations and outlined a plan for improvement so that she she wasn't bringing in whatever negative things were going on on the outside in and this included a commitment that she was no longer going to gossip she was no longer going to speak negatively in the hospital remember this was a doctor and doctors whether you like it or not are leaders in the hospital your assistants your technicians they're all looking up to you mm -hmm. and so really really important that that she wasn't speaking negatively about other people about clients all of that and so she committed to that we followed up we made sure to keep talking about it kept having her come in i believe it was uh, at first it was every week and then we started to stretch it out and honestly the improvement in the hospital atmosphere it was like night and day the moment she started to because her schedule changed and she was able to take care of the things at home she started to feel better she was able to come in eventually she thanked me for caring about her enough to to make those changes yeah. for her um you know i think that while that is a great story and uh, it was wonderful to have that opportunity i i gotta say that to be honest and realistic that's not always how they end and I have had to fire doctors before and it's uncomfortable because it, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to fire people. It's uncomfortable to have to fire a doctor. I say that and people's eyebrows go, 
how did you do uh -huh. that? How did you fire a doctor? Doctors are so hard to come by, but I truly, truly, like I'm mama bear to my team and I need to take care of them. And you negative, Nancy, I don't care what your role is. You, you can't be here if you're gonna be that way. And so Dr. Lisa, was able to be coached and was able to be kept. And I, I unfortunately have had not so positive experiences where I've tried to coach and they just weren't receptive and we did have to coach them out. So I just want to point out that like it, it does happen. And that is part of our, our job as leaders that we have to, we have to do what's right for the overall team. It sucks to be in that position. It's when it's the negative ones, but yeah. I'm sure those positive outcomes really, I hope they outweigh the, the negative ones. Cause I mean, she had to feel so good to be seen and for you guys to take the time to help her yeah. through that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you uh, have a, um, a story for us? Yeah. So <laughs> mine actually, um, is before I even knew how to, um, handle these difficult conversations. It was one that I had with a doctor um, while I was working on the floor. Um, a couple months before that, my own cat had um, passed away under alfaxalone. And I, ever since then, was super scared to use the medication. And this doctor was getting ready to just do a quick <clears throat> UO and she wanted to use alfax and I wasn't comfortable. Um, I expressed to her that I wasn't comfortable and that I was going to go and grab another nurse to swap out and on the floor in front of clients and um, nurses, she basically called me a whole bunch of names, uh, told me I was a baby and that I should just suck it up and get over it. And I didn't have that conversation with her right then and there. I just kind of swapped out and did what I had to do. And I grabbed the supervisor that was on staff and said, I need to sit down with you and this doctor right now and have a conversation. Um, we went into a room and I basically told the doctor, I did not appreciate how you treated me, the way that you said those things. I stated all of my facts and then I told her my side of the story and she broke down in tears. Um, she didn't realize uh, what I was personally going through when all of this happened as well. Um, the fact that I was going through a divorce and moving back to New Jersey and things along those lines and then my cat dying and stuff like that. So for me, it was kind of a little bit of a, a triggering thing. And since then, um, this doctor has now taken the time to kind of talk to people and get to know them more. She was very abrasive and just kind of like, go, 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 fast paced um, kind of thing. But now she actually like talks to people and she thanked me for that day um, for sitting her down and making her realize like not everything is just because I don't want to do it. There's a reason behind those things. Um, so that's, I, I basically told her, I was like at the beginning of the conversation is I love working with you. We get through cases so fast and we have such a great relationship, but I just don't understand what made you say those things. And when she, you know, was just like, I don't understand. You're such a great nurse. You do all these things. You can run anesthesia with your eyes closed. Why can't you just do this? And when I explained to her the story more in detail, everybody in the clinic knew that I did not like working with the drug and they were absolutely fine with it. It's kind of when it flips her mind a little bit and she was like, oof, okay. So people don't have it so easy. And ever since then, we had a great working relationship. She's actually had a lot of 
um, other nurses uh, and assistants who don't mind working with her anymore because she's not so abrasive. Um, so actually, actually like ask them like how their day is going and stuff like that instead of like moving on to the next thing. And nobody ever took it personal. She's really good at what she does. Um, but it was just, that was uh, the one for me that kind of stuck out because then once I started going through this whole Crucial Conversations course and getting certified to like teach the course, I was like, wow, I was doing this without realizing I was doing this. And this is something that I was pretty good at actually. So that's like the story that that I normally tell people when they're like, tell me about a time that you had to do have a difficult conversation. I was like, well, this was before I even knew that I was about to have a difficult conversation. It reminds me of <laughs> Suzanne's story with McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. You know, she, she had no idea how, like, her actions affected people. Mm-hmm. And she didn't realize what, like, people have lives outside or things going on outside of work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, right? Like, who knows what that poor girl at McDonald's was going through and then I had to <laughs> and scream at her, right? Like, and, and we we experience that daily with clients, yeah. right? We have clients come in and they're yelling at us. Like, I had a client yesterday thank me for everything I do. And I was like, wow, that feels good, right? This like, is nice. that's not something I'm used to. And I, and I thank her for thanking me. I was like, well, thank you for being so kind, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just, it's those little things that we, we don't realize. And, and it also both stories, my, my McDonald's story and, and, and Emily, your story, it, it's all about perception, right? I didn't, I didn't know how I was perceived. I didn't realize, like, I knew that I was a little bit off the handle, but I didn't realize it was perceived that way. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and I think that, same thing right like she probably didn't even think that she came off that way because it's just what she was used to and she didn't even Mm -hmm. you don't know yourself stopped her before no and that was the other part is nobody's ever had that conversation with her before so how is she going to know what's going on unless somebody like tells you what's what's going on and ever since then she's been more aware of her surroundings and conversations that she's had and we're like best friends i love that (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing those stories and sure. for being here tonight. Um, this has been awesome. It's so great to talk to you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for, for inviting us. And um, so we are on Instagram at Leading Veterinary Teams. We have a website that I just fixed today. So go check it out, lvt.vet. It's beautiful and I'm obsessed with it. Um, if somebody mm-hmm. goes to it and finds something that doesn't work, please let me know because mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm just going to plug our, our biz for a second, if that's okay. Um, we, we provide mentorship and coaching, but we also have uh, leadership training. Um, we have a masterclass this Friday, um, which also happens to be my birthday. So you oh. all should just come to like, celebrate but uh it's this friday uh talking about being the leader that people being the veterinary leader that people don't want to leave so um hopefully that is something that is intriguing to people that are watching and um you can get all the information on our instagram page like i said leading veterinary teams uh yeah and honestly beyond just the one-on-one coaching and the mentorship and, and courses for people that are want to be leaders or want to grow their leadership team, their leadership 
skills. Um, we are starting to work with larger groups as well. So corporations, conglomerate type things um, for people that uh, if you don't have the learning and development team, right? Like I'm not talking the big VCAs and things like that, that already have all of that established. I'm talking like the startups and the smaller companies that don't have a training for their leadership. Uh, we are here to help you either create it for you or talk you through what you need for those leadership trainings. So um, lots of things on the horizon. Yes, guys, definitely give them a follow and check out their website or even contact them if you have any questions. Yeah. But thank you guys so much. This has been awesome. Thank you. <laughs> have a good thank night, you. Have a good night. <laughs> you too. Well, there you have it. Navigating difficult conversations. Again, if you skipped part one, go back and take a listen. Then head over to love.huvet on Instagram and give Emily and her team a follow. Next week, we'll be talking about confidence and you're not going to want to miss this one.